Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about anime movies. Namely, we are going to talk about our first anime movie we've ever seen and our experience with it, what we thought of it.、Um, was that our entrance into anime? Did we even realize that we watched an anime movie? And then we will talk about our latest anime movie that we have seen. If anyone's wondering why my voice might be sounding a little off, it's because, as many of you guys have seen, Uh, on my Twitter, if you guys are Twitter followers or on our Girl Taku, I lost my voice last week, so I couldn't record. And my voice is not fully back per se, but it is back enough for me to record an episode. So I hope you guys will bear with me as it still is on its very long journey of recovery because unfortunately I use my vocal cords quite a bit and often abuse it a little too much. So, with that being said,、uh, Agnes, you are the one kicking us off today. So,、uh, you shall be the one who gets the first baton, which is, you know, talk about your anime movies, your experience with it.、Um, you know, which one, which one was your first anime movie you ever watched? Absolutely, yeah. So, the first, I think, official anime movie that I watched, but it didn't register to me when I was a kid, is the Digimon Adventure Our War Game. And at the time, I was, you know, you're at that age, you're really young, you're probably between the impressionable age of like five to seven, and you're just picking up animes like Yu Gi Oh! Pokemon, stuff like that. And at the time, I did not know this, but the Digimon Adventure Our War Game movie was actually directed by Hosoda. Wait, really?、Ooh. Yes, it's directed by Hosoda, and it's actually probably, people would say, like, it's the pilot movie. Or, like, the whole, his whole entrance into like social media world. And that's why you see it as incorporated in themes in movies like Belle and movies like Summer Wars. That's like his very first movie that talks about social media as a whole and how we create like different social profiles, how there's like a lot of people who hack stuff, everything like that. Wait, wait, I have a from question. This movie. I already have a、yes. question. Did、yes. social media <laughs> exist when we were that young? Uh, in the form of like, AO,、uh, like AOL and stuff like that. So chat messages,、oh, boxes, and stuff like that. Very okay, old versions.、Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, very, very old, like predating MySpace kind of era. Okay. But it was still prevalent enough that people were still using the internet to connect. And it's actually really funny watching the Digimon Adventure, our war game, at that time where you're young, because a lot of the characters were doing like these really. Interesting thing. So, the whole premise is that the, poke- the, the Pokemon, <laughs> the Digimon, <laughs> come from a digital space that is kind of similar to the internet that we have now, and that they're hooked up and wired to it. And they can basically fight like our avatars within this、uh, digitalized space. They're kind of transported into them. And the only way that the characters can get in contact with them at this current stage in the movie is by tapping into the internet and communicating them. Through the internet. And a lot of the characters you'll see in this movie will whip out these super duper clunky cord phones just so that they can tell their Digimon to like head into that digital space and fight the monsters that they need to fight. Oh my god. Stuff like that. Digimon. And it's digital. Gosh. 
I just realized where the name came from. Exactly. Yeah. Digi oh. Digimon is digital monsters. Yeah. Duh, that's how Gracie, the, the that's how the American byline went. So it, at the time, I was so impressed with this because I thought, like, wow, you know, I'm a Digimon fan. This is like one of the first few anime films I've ever seen in my child career. And it wasn't until years later as an adult, I'm like, oh, no shit, Agnes, this is by Hosoda, this is his pilot work, like, come on, man, there's a reason why you like Summer Wars, and you probably like Bell 2, is because he did Digimon Adventure, our war game, so that was very memorable to me as a child, um, sitting through that and just watching it, and I actually have a really fun uh, story attached to it, too. When I was in grade school, I was usually left in the care of my grandparents after school before my mom picked me up. And when my mom picked me up, when she was about to drive me home, sometimes she would go pick up some Vietnamese deli food that was uh, a couple streets down from my grandparents' place. And then around that same parking lot is a video store. You know, um, it's not a Blockbusters, actually, but it's like a family-owned video store that's no longer there, unfortunately. And I remember going into that store and picking out the DVD release to rent for Digimon Adventure, our war game. Oh. And so that was like bygone era. Like everyone now, like, you know, streams movies, watches movies in theaters. No, I went to the store and rented it out on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> so did you ever get into Digimon after watching the movie then? Like with the cold card? Oh, yeah, craze? I was. I didn't actually get into the card craze because my parents were fairly strict so actually they were fairly strict with a lot of things I think no more like I saw them as strict so I never really went out of my way to ask them to buy cards and stuff like that for me and I was really interested interested in the merchandise and the the card games so instead I was binging through most of the anime so I know a lot of the anime titles and most of the major plot points as well for a, for a variety of the entries in the franchise okay I heard the newest Digimon, actually, because, yes, it's still ongoing. I heard, like, yeah. the newest Digimon stuff have actually been pretty good from what I've, like, from just what people have s said on social media. Yeah, the the newer ones is pretty good. There was a weird dip, I think, in the mid-2000s, so, like, around maybe 2008 to 10, where the series wasn't just, wasn't delivering that much justice. It was kind of, like, meh. But I wouldn't be surprised that it's picking it back up again, especially now that's competing with so many other really good kids shows and just anime in general. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my final question to you about this first movie of yours. Have you rewatched it any time recently? I did. Okay. Oh. I did. Okay. <laughs> I have definitely done that. I've definitely uh, rewatched it. Um, but like I said, it is the film that I didn't recall before that it was done by Hosoda. But I do want to pinpoint another anime movie that I watched in my childhood that really actually made an impact to me that said, this is what anime films is about. Do you mind if I go into it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I sure, like go super on. Important. So in the summer of 2008, I was in grade school and I had an access to an iPad at the time or an iPod touch. And I decided to myself... I'm going to sit here and watch whatever anime that's on YouTube because at the time, you know, a bunch of animes on YouTube and they're divided in parts. And I found this movie on YouTube in the summer of 2008 that was about a ronin samurai that goes around uh, doing like odd jobs. And he come across a boy 
who is a runaway from Ning, China, and decides to help save the boy while the boy is being chased because he's supposed to be put as a ritualistic sacrifice. At the time, I was like, okay, it's just an anime movie, like, whatever, I can handle violence. And the moment I sat down to watch the first, I think, six minutes of that movie, my heart was immediately sold by the flawless execution of these Japanese like samurai crossing a bridge and they're being ambushed by what looks like Chinese soldiers and a man who is blonde and has blue eyes. And for viewers, if you know what movie I'm talking about, I am talking about Sword of the Stranger, which is also directed by the one and only Masahiro Ando. It's probably his first movie, I would say, as a direct, as one of his directorial debuts in the anime industry. But I remember sitting there watching the movie absolutely gobstruck with how flawlessly executed it is. The music is incredibly good. It's very heart racing, adrenaline pumping, and his keen eye to visuals and depictions of um, certain character expressions, design, and also the way that they move and they look. It's just fantastic. It's something that I had never seen before. And I remember that same day, I finished it in that same day, I went through all of my Google like chats that I had with my friends and I immediately told them, you gotta watch this show. Like If you like Bleach, if you like Naruto or whatever you're watching right now, you're going to like this movie. Please watch it for me. And unfortunately, not a lot of people watched it because, you know, you're you're so young at that time, you don't really have a lot of influence in the anime world or anything. But that movie has continued to hold such a candle in my heart for so long that I would continue to recognize Masahiro Ando's work when you watch stuff like Series The Jaeger. And immediately when I saw the first episode of Series The Jaeger, I thought to myself, that's Ando's signature. I recognize that from anywhere. Wow. And that stems Ooh. from that 2008 movie of Sword of the Stranger. Wow, I definitely hadn't heard of that film, but just like reading up on it, it was actually, it's really critically acclaimed for its yeah. act action scenes. Yeah, it's so good. Like you can watch a lot of the clips on YouTube um, and hear a lot of the music that's still left on YouTube as well. But I recommend just trying to watch it legally wherever you are if you can, because it's such a treat to what? Like, own a copy for What like is yourself. that signature thing you were talking about specifically? I don't, it's more of like the way that the blades move and the way that the characters interact with each other as they dive into a fight. Wow. I feel like how his camera angle pans, you can't see it anywhere else. Interesting. Because I, I watch Sirius the Eager, but I haven't seen that movie. So I, I think it's fascinating that you're able to just watch one episode and be like, oh, I know who created that. Like, that's insane. <laughs> Yeah, it's, well, I mean, I knew Sirius the Jaeger was going to be directed by Ando, which is why I went to go see it at the convention when it was first airing. But I remember at the time thinking to myself like, oh yeah, that's a signature Ando. I don't know where else I can find this. It's, it's something about the, the sword, uh, the, the, the sweeps of the blade is a very Ando thing for some reason. I don't know. That was very, um, striking to me when I was watching both. Of the series and it continues to make an impact on you today with the movie then it seems like <laughs> oh absolutely yeah like i cannot deny that sort of the stranger was one of the one of the movies probably the first movie that ignited my passion for like sakuga like really good sakuga mm -hmm. and i almost feel like it sort of ignited your passion for 
historical fiction like oh i mean i've always been a fan of historical fiction and history since my dad since i was a child my dad had always educated me on things like that and he bought me a lot of like history books when i was a kid uh not so much like boring textbooks of 300 pages each <laughs> but you know kid textbooks that tell you like what are the romans or i had a sticker book that was about like different warriors from history so you would have like a page on vikings and you would have these viking stickers and then you would just kind of like stick them onto these backgrounds of like riding out in the sea or them trying to like build homes on certain pieces of land and kind of like play like a little map game on it as well and i think i still have that sticker book somewhere because <laughs> it's a very memorable piece of uh my past and my love for history as well well i definitely see how that movie has an impact on you and like how your personality is in it in regards to why yes <laughs> you can see it <laughs> it's very gritty it's dark tone yeah colors, i was about to say the coloration yeah <laughs> the coloration is so good <laughs> like i mean for that time, the coloration is pretty standard. You'll recognize that even in the Digimon movie, it's a pretty drab coloring because that was the way that they, it was back then. It wasn't super bright and flashy and had the specs all the way on high resolution. But it's it's a very reminiscent part of me, I would say. So clearly you still hold a lot of fondness for your first few anime movies that made an impact on you. So what is your latest anime movie you've seen in? How do you feel about it? The latest anime movie that I saw, and that's because I saw it before COVID-19 happened in theaters. Since COVID-19, I have not stepped foot out of my house to go to any theaters nearby, even though there was anime showcasing, mainly because I was scared. So the latest movie that I saw was back in 2019, just before COVID hit, and that is Weathering With You, um, which was a fantastic marvel to watch. Uh, completely oh man, Medi will style. have thoughts to say if he was on here. <laughs> you know what? This podcast isn't about Medi, so. <laughs> <laughs> Weathering you had a lot of really good potential. The water, the way that he animates water is so fascinating, even more so than I think Kyoto Animation did when they released Free. And at the time, I was kind of excited for it because I heard so many good things about your name as well and went into weathering you kind of blind being like okay i can do this you know we we can all do this we can all enjoy weathering with you unfortunately though the story was not as tight as i thought it would be and i kind of found myself questioning a lot of story elements throughout the film rather than enjoying it on a wider scale so what did you not like about it <laughs> Oh god, we're going to go into one of these tangents again, aren't we? Okay, um, <laughs> where do we start? Let's start at the police scene. I don't understand why there was needed an introduction of a gun and why he needed to be arrested in the first place. That was a really weird interlude to forcing our main character to go after his girl and break out of jail for... God knows, I don't remember what reason. Oh, because he somehow had a possession of a gun that showed up in the first part of the movie, but the gun didn't really have any kind of relevance because he didn't really kill anybody with it. Oh, uh, no, it was it. more to instigate, like, a really great chase sequence. No, it was, that was a good chase sequence, you gotta admit. It was a really beautifully <laughs> animated chase sequence, but it made no context whatsoever, especially in modern-day Tokyo, where... 
acquiring firearms in Japan is very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. We all know that in Japan, because they abolished like swords and firearms in their in their constitution and their law, most people don't own a weapon in their homes. And if anything, it's mostly mangakas and gun enthusiasts who have like BB guns instead and have like shooting ranges and arenas to go into. But that's about it. They don't operate here like in the West, where you can freely buy a gun with live ammo um, and just shoot where whenever you want. Right. So that I found really disbelievable, even though they tried to spin it like, oh, the gun was, you know, planted somewhere by a terrorist that the police were following. The police had mistaken our MC as a terrorist because he had that gun. And I'm here thinking to myself, like, what Japanese school kid would think it's okay to pick up a gun, even though he's kind of stranded in Tokyo? Because as we know it, like, Japan is considered one of the quote-unquote safest cities or a city that is so willing to give so many different kind of amenities to people even if they are stranded you know like there are so many conveniences that work in japan that simply doesn't exist here in the u.s which is why i would understand if the kid had a gun like he was in the u.s because a gun is oh yeah unfortunately (laughs) as well in the u.s you can get a gun from your parents if the parents are irresponsible so yeah um exactly and in the U.S., especially with kids who are like orphaned or, you know, they live in abusive households, having a gun means safety. But in Japan, where safety is already maxed out and you don't need a gun and there are so many other amenities like convenience stores, places to sleep, net cafes and stuff like that, you don't need a gun to protect yourself. And there's no like real gangs or at least like gangs compared to like in the U.S. and other Western countries that will come out and deliberately attack you for being orphaned or homeless. So that I found like really took my attention away from the movie as a whole and completely derailed me from the very end of the movie. Because at one point, although I was dissatisfied with Weathering With You's ending, after talking it out with Medi and with other people, I was more okay with the message that Hosoda was, oh no, it's not Hosoda, right? Uh, Shinkai, uh, Makoto Shinkai, Shinkai. yeah. God, I'm mixing them up already. Because they, because both of them are coming out with new movies and that, that messes me up. Shinkai. I'm okay with Shinkai's message at the end of Weathering You, which is the whole idea of not placing the burdens of, of problems that you had in your generation to the next generation for them to fix. But I'm more concerned of why there were so many weird story elements that really didn't make sense and therefore skewed my entire attention away from the show's actual value meaning. Because at that point, we basically had to extrapolate a lot. Yeah, I I agree the gun thing was weird. I think, and I'm like, I don't know if it's because I'm me and I'm a coward, you know, but if I saw a gun, I would be running away from it. I definitely wouldn't be keeping it in any shape or form. So um, when he decided to keep it, I was just like, why? Like, and I, yeah, exactly. And I know some people are like, oh, but he's immature. He's a teenager. But I'm like, as a teenager, I would still 100% run away from a gun. Yeah. And like I said, like, it's Japan. People don't usually wield guns for self-defense in Japan compared to other places in the world, which is more dangerous and would therefore logically tell you, hold on to a gun. Japan, you don't need one, is is my logic going into this, which is why I found it very disbelieving. How did you feel about the movie, uh, Isabel? Because I know you've seen it, so. (laughs) Yeah, I basically have the same thoughts as you all about that, and... 
not only that, it came as a film after Your Name, and I had liked Your Name a lot. So I was expecting kind of like the same idea surrounding weathering with you. But yeah, I like there's some things that I didn't really understand, like the gun thing, for example. And then so that didn't really resonate with me. And I found it confusing as well towards the end. Um, other than that, you know, everything else I felt like was exactly what I expected after seeing Your Name and seeing another Makoto Ishinkai film. So I still think it's a great film to watch. Like I invited my friends to go watch it because they hadn't seen it. So for them as a first type of experience to go see a movie like that, I think it's still worth it. Um, I think for us, maybe because we've seen so many films and seen yeah. other films that we're kind of <laughs> picking at these things, really. No, I definitely agree with you because a lot of my friends that I did go see with as well, they're not hard anime enthusiasts or they don't examine anime as critically they enjoyed the movie for what it was i had one particular friend of mine who was so blown away by the water effects that shinkai had in his film that he really wanted to actually go see the 4k version where you sit in your seat and you can actually feel like water droplets on you like he oh, that would to be so real that. considering like how real the animation looked so yeah <laughs> exactly yeah so I give Shinkai props to that, at least, because you definitely feel it on screen, and the fact that you even had a 4K screening is even better. But yeah, plot-wise, debatable. <laughs> I think this is the whole thing of the curse of either consuming too much or consuming it, even if in a semi-professional state, because, you know, I say semi-professional because, like I said, everyone knows here already, we all have day jobs and we do things professionally during the day. But, you know, after a certain amount of times, you... You do just consume, when you consume these, you can't help but just sort of think critically about it and start analyzing, hey, what works and what doesn't work and why doesn't it work and why does these things work sort of thing. And yes, it makes it a little harder to just sit there and enjoy per se, but I'm in the exact same spot as you guys. I've had friends who watched it who do consume it casually and they're and they enjoyed it and it was entertainment and that's all that was to them. But I have the exact same critiques of the movie as the two of you as well because I'm just sitting here like, okay, this doesn't connect to like this, you know, sort of thing. So. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's it's weird. Sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of an elitist talking about this type of stuff and my friends kind of look at me like, dude, shut up. <laughs> I'm just like, but but it's important we learn these things. <laughs> but whatever. Well, that's why you are an editor here at Anime Trendy, and that's why you're at Anime Trendy. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Alrighty then. Well, uh, since I've already sort of turned the uh, the direction towards you, Isabel, um, I'm just gonna go ahead and ask you now directly, uh, what was your first anime movie? And you know, how does it hold up if you've seen it again recently? What were your thoughts about it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I know a lot of us probably when we were younger, we also watched a lot of Studio Ghibli films. Mm -hmm. mm, but yeah. the one I want to mention is the one before Studio Ghibli actually came into or turned or was a studio. So um, that movie is the Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I had a hard time searching for this film when I first watched it because I was maybe seven or eight years old i was on a field trip and we were going to go see a movie or animated movie uh for like this earth day i remember that it was the theme was earth day kind of like save spare the air day environment day so we went to go see this movie but of course uh, as a little kid i didn't know anything i just follow my classmates into the movie theater and go watch it 
Oh. That's a pretty cool movie to watch on Earth Day. <laughs> I know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I feel like even though I watched that so many years ago at this point, it is still irrelevant. You could still show that at any Earth Day, and I think it would still get the point across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was just so blown away by Nausicaa as a princess, like compared to other princess shows that I might see oh, from Disney. Oh, like Disney movies, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Disney movies, princess movies can go to hell at this point. <laughs> well, 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 I would defend that, but um, but it, I, that's another topic for later, so. <laughs> yeah, that really depends. There's a lot of films to compare, right? So. But uh, yeah, I feel like her character was so strong in the movie. Uh, you know, she's very brave and very resor- resourceful. And you know, she lives in the Valley of the Wind where essentially it looks, you know, very peaceful. And there's a lot of greenery and stuff like that. And they're kind of just living their life. But they're surrounded by other countries that want to wage war. And they see this Valley of the Wind where, oh, we, they can use more resources. And so. It just kind of ties into what we are living. I feel like, you know, w- places with war. And not only that, um, the Valley of the Wind also borders on, I think it was something called like the Sea of Death or something, or like a, it's basically a toxic jungle where the oh, creatures live. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And so because of the wars and everything, no one can enter this toxic jungle without masks, basically. Um, because if they breathe in that harmful air, it, it basically kills them. So they're kind of stuck between, you know, two places, this valley um, where the people live and that Nausicaa is basically in charge of because um, because her father, the king, also dies and just kind of like all this chaotic mess between the nations and them. Um, so she is, she's trying to be a leader for her people, but she's stuck um, between this and she tries and she like never gives up. I think that's the reason why I really liked the film and really liked her as a character and she's just so focused on trying to make sure that everyone is peaceful or, you know, all she always has a plan for people, for her people to get away or just kind of tricking the enemies into thinking, oh, you guys should go this way and then I'll fight you. So even though she's very um, focused on trying to achieve peace, she also knows when to fight. Um and yeah, just that message. Obviously, I didn't get that when I was watching the film. I was more obsessed with the fact that she was on a hang, kind of like a hang glider. And she oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just put her in my spot. I'm like, oh, I want to be a princess like that. I can just lay on a hang glider like that and then fly around. It would be so cool. Oh, Isabel, that's mm-hmm. so cute. So cute. <laughs> but yeah, and then her interaction with the um, creatures that are in the jungle, they're like, they look like bugs, but they're like giant bugs with like a lot of eyes. And yeah, just like she's trying to still you know communicate with them, even though she doesn't speak their language, obviously. And I think she, at the end of the movie, she definitely does. She's able to kind of achieve what her goals are. Um, and I feel like the client, like everything is so there's so many things happening in the film left and right that I, I was probably blown away by it the whole time. I haven't seen it recently, but that memory of me going to watch it and then after watching it i was also very um i really liked the soundtrack which was done by joe hisaishi mm, yeah. and i couldn't stop listening to it or like i really wanted to find this uh, the music behind it it took me so long i think 
my obsession with the show afterwards and trying to find what the heck that was. Like, I couldn't remember the name, um, but then finding it later on and rewatching videos on it just really added to my experience. Yeah, this clearly made a huge impact on you because of just how vivid your memory is of watching it for the first time. It's very clear at how, like, you know how in Inside Out, wait, you guys have seen Inside Out, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you know how in Inside Out where like some of the memories always are like lit up, they don't fade? Like that's what I feel like your experience watching this movie is, is that it's always <laughs> that memory ball is just lit up and it's never going to fade. So <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I feel like when you mention these older films or maybe the first thing that you've experienced, kind of like what Agnes was talking about with Digimon, it, like kind of those experiences as a kid, they really, you know, resonate with you as you grow older. They're like fond memories, so. Did you rewatch it after the first time you watched it? Because it sounded like you were looking for it, even if it's just the music. Yeah, I think I rewatched parts of it afterward, but I, that that wasn't like I don't really remember all of it. I don't. I pre I'm pretty sure I didn't watch it all, all, all of it all the way through again. And I've definitely forgot about it throughout the years, other than the fact that, yes, I watched that. <laughs> when did you start picking up that there was, like, a war going on? Because, you know, you said that you didn't really pick that up as a kid the first time, which makes sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, because I only thought people were attacking them, kind of like I thought they were just kind of invading. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That Which is classic children's, you know, mm -hmm. understanding of things. People are attacking me. <laughs> like, that's the extent of it. So, um, so yeah, like, at what age would you say, if you even have an estimate, did you, were, were you just like, oh, that was a war? Like, that wasn't just, like, random bad guys fighting us or something like that? <laughs> yeah, I can't really tell. I feel like maybe I watched, like, a YouTube video that finally explained it to me. And not only that, you know, um, other films that Miyazaki has produced is you know shows that type of theme and themes between other countries or just kind of conflicts that civilization may have so i think i kind of picked up on it i can't tell exactly when i actually understood it though but yeah have either of you seen the film at all or mm -hmm. so i watched it a long time ago it's one of the ones that it's definitely not one of the ones i actually rewatched, so it's not as clear for me in my head um but that's my sort of uh, situation what about you agnes yeah i actually didn't watch i tried to watch nausicaa actually uh, a couple years back i only saw the first opening scenes of nausicaa maybe like the first 10 minutes before my internet kind of died so i wasn't able to actually touch back on it but hearing how passionate Isabel and you, Gracie, were talking about. I kind of want to go back and rewatch it. I feel like you would really it like it, yeah. I mean, I already love the premise already with the way that Isabel describes it and the way, and I've seen how the visuals look too. So I'm more intrigued, especially with all the world building and the that toxic jungle that is that lies uh, beyond their like kingdom, and it's the one like factor that they can't leave because they're in conflict with the other nations. So that's very interesting to me as somebody who studies like geopolitics with history and stuff. I think what makes uh, Ghibli, Studio Ghibli films so special is that it's it's still accessible by kids, even though you might not fully understand what's going on. But just the animation itself and the little elements inside it that makes it so magical as kids, you're, you watch it and you're enamored and you love it and you're absolutely pulled in. 
And then you can revisit as adults, as when you're more mature and understand more of the world and be like, oh, oh, there's a lot of stuff in here to explore, to dissect, to fully appreciate that you wouldn't have understood at all as a a kid. And the ability to, for it to span like your entire life from a child to an adult is very, very powerful. And it's very hard for stories to be able to do that. Yeah, I would agree with that. A lot of I've met some coworkers who state that, you know, favorite films are from Studio Ghibli. So the fact that they they still like those films and still say it's kind of like their favorite film is pretty, pretty nice to hear, really. And then I feel like you can always go back to it either. So or like if you haven't seen a film, like, for example, I didn't see Mononoke until like two years ago because I because someone had a free ticket and I was like, OK, I'll go see it because I haven't seen it ever before. <laughs> and I was blown away by it. Probably. Yeah. I was like, why did I not see this earlier? Right. So. Yeah. All right. So if that's your first anime film, what is your most recent one you've seen? And does it have that same oomph impact that your first anime film clearly did? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if this would have the same one because, you know, recently we've had films that are kind of like part twos to anime. And Mm. so obviously I'm leading to... Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. That's the ah, last one I saw. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's the latest one anyways. So. Yeah. That's like the latest film you can see right now. And it came out like just a couple weeks ago. So that one's like fresh in my memory. Um, but I actually really liked the film. It was only maybe an hour and a half in total. Oh, like that's shorter. Yeah. It was kind of shorter than I expected. Um, but after seeing Batman, which was like three hours long and I needed a <laughs> bathroom break... I prefer <laughs> this type of shorter film. I really, yeah, the action was amazing in that. And knowing all the characters from Jujutsu Kaisen already, we've already talked about so much Jujutsu Kaisen on this podcast. But <laughs> yeah, I really like the scenes overall. And the fact that I thought this was kind of like a prequel, but apparently it happens in the manga as like a story, like a side story kind of, but it's very yeah. important to the main main series. Yeah chronologically in Jujutsu Kaisen's events it is a prequel uh, but existed as a side story that was published after the main story was further along if I remember reading a lot of our PR articles correctly yeah that's right and I could totally see that as like a very very long flashback and I think this works perfectly as a film because it's like a separate story by itself and then I thought it was a great choice um, great choice for them to do this because you know, you get the story all in one. You kind of get it in the you know movie theater experience. Um, I feel like every part it didn't drag on. I was afraid it would drag on. I think that's the, my fear when I watch these movies. Like I've watched three of the My Hero Academia films, and I feel like some parts drag on. Or you know, if it's like a side story that kind of contributes to the characters, it kind of feels like. Um, like a filler, like a filler movie. Mm. So I'm really scared of that happening. So I'm happy that this type of movie, you know, obviously it's in the manga, so it happens and it's important for the second season. I just really like that fact for the plot to be really solid. And then um, just kind of the char- seeing the characters again, I don't, I can't really say much other than that. And yeah, otherwise, I wish we could see more. I don't know. I wouldn't want Jujutsu Kaisen um, season two to be a movie, obviously, although I feel like every episode is kind of like watching a movie based on the animation quality and how they string the story together with the characters. I do I do like how also kind of the 
the villains, I would say, if they get more character in the Jujutsu Kaisen Zero movie. So I was able to see more of that and kind of Gojo's past mm-hmm. as a teacher. That's interesting, right? yeah. So kind of like, you know, he always says he's the best in the first part of the series, but, you know, what makes him really the best and how did he actually, you know, use his powers and things like that. And then so seeing that and then seeing him kind of like struggle between two things is something I don't I didn't see in the first season. So him kind of being like a younger teacher, um, but still building up to (laughs) how he is as a person. um, I thought that was interesting to see. That's really good to hear that someone like you had a really good reception of JJK Zero. Because I also was tempted to go watch it because of COVID. I was kind of nervous. So I'm still waiting for it to come out on Crunchyroll streaming. Hopefully if it ever comes to that far. But considering that you said that it's really great, I have high hopes for it. Uh, Before you go to your question, Gracie, I do want to ask... and for anime movies in general, we've also noticed that, especially with all of these like part two sequels, they tend to be a place where the animation studio can showcase newer techniques and experiment with a lot of things that they typically cannot do in a weekly be- weekly basis for anime TV series. Did you notice any kind of animation change, directorial changes, or? like adjustments that made you like the movie more or made you kind of critique the movie a bit more? Like anything that was different from the anime TV series, I would say. Yeah, something different. I feel that, I don't know if it was, it's, this is part in the manga itself, but how Okotsu uh, picked up his ability to utilize curses, that seemed kind of random to me or very quick. I think okay. you can feel that I, how the film is kind of cut down to like the most important parts that you might not get, you know, reading the manga or like details that are cut out. So I did notice that like a lo- there's some things that I had to bridge in my head, like, oh, this is how it works. Um, but it's not really explained to me. So I wish it was kind of ex- a little bit more explained to me so I can actually grasp what's going on. You know, maybe it'll come later, but. I wish I could have had that in the film, and you can definitely feel that the the pacing is a little bit faster than what would you get in, you know, obviously a full season. That is interesting that they cut down, or it seems like they cut down on a lot of the minuter details just so that they can get the main points across and kind of like shuffle the story along. And I feel like that's kind of a a similar trend to what we've seen with a lot of other anime movies that serve as a a bridge between the first season and the second season. Mm -hmm. That's right. But yeah, Gracie, did you have a question? Oh, I was just going to ask if your opinion, um, or I guess like a quick comparison, if you prefer Jujutsu Kaisen Zero to uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train, assuming you've seen it, because they're kind of similar, but they're also different, because like you pointed out, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero is sort of a long flashback, a prequel, but obviously Demon Slayer Mugen Train is a direct continuation, so between the two of you had like a preference into this movie format yeah that's a good question i i like both in their own way i feel like demon slayer mugen train did a great great job of continuing the series and obviously having an important plot point and same with jujutsu kaisen zero i think the only thing that i lost interest on was demon slayer because they decided to turn that into part of the next season mm-hmm. so they you know extended the mugen train yeah so yeah the fact that i already seen the movie and 
I was kind of being forced to watch it again if I wanted to. Um, even if I had to sit through all the details, that's not something I, I look forward to doing. I did watch the first episode because that was a little different, but other than that, I know everything else is pretty much the same with a few more details. Um, so I feel like that became a little bit too long okay. um, for someone who had already seen the movie. So I would just skip over that and then go to, you know, actual new content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Just wanted to see if there was like a difference for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like it is my turn. So I will be talking about my first anime movie that I remember. This first anime movie is very, very old. It's called Galaxy Express 999. I uh yes yeah okay I'm aware of the title yeah it's a it's a pretty famous movie but it is very very old I think the anime came the anime movie came out in like 1994 which is when I was born oh no 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 wait actually 19 oh gosh yeah it's 19 uh 1990 oh god it is very very old yeah it's like before when I was born actually but uh, how I saw it is when I was five years old and I was in kindergarten, I had just moved from another state to, uh, to Texas. And um, the move was hard for me, not just because it's a move, but I went from an area that was like 100% Chinese community to an area that was very much not 100% Chinese community. So I had a bit of a culture shock and I had trouble adjusting to the new culture and realizing that the United States was not Chinese culture. <laughs> and so, <laughs> <laughs> But the thing, one of the, my things that I did was I went to Chinese school because unsurprisingly, my first language is actually Chinese. Part of my reward for going to Chinese school was if I did well in class, if I, you know, did well in the quizzes, I did well in the exams and the homework, um, whenever we, there's always like a Chinatown that was close by and we would do our shopping there. There was a tiny little stall in this Chinatown that sold DVDs of anime films that were dubbed into Chinese. And the thing is, I'm pretty sure those DVDs were illegal when I think back to it, but um, <laughs> not that I was aware at the time, but essentially you, I could rent them and it was basically this mini rental stall. I rent it for a week and you return it back. And so in a way, it was like a guaranteed way that I would always do well in Chinese school because I was motivated to get these DVDs of anime movies. And um, so and I would want to get them every week. So I would perform well every week because the Chinese school was every weekend. And I watched several other Chinese dubbed anime movies before Galaxy uh, Express 999. I just don't remember their names anymore. So that's why I have to go with this one because it's the only one that I like genuinely have a name for. But I definitely did not realize that was an anime at that time. And Galaxy uh, Galaxy Express 999 really hit me hard, and I rewatched that in our tiny apartment more times than I can possibly count. It was the first time I saw two characters kiss on the lips on screen, actually, um, because wow, yeah, yeah, that was on Galaxy Express 999. I was actually really confused, too, because I was like, I distinctly remember I was watching with my mom, 
And then it was at the very end where there was uh, there was that kiss. And I was like, bomb. Like, you know, why did she kiss him on the lips? Like, I never see people kiss other people on the lips. <laughs> like, it's a sign of love. And I was like, you love me, but you don't kiss me on the lips. And, so, and my mom was like, no, no, it's a sign of a different love. And I was like, there's different love. And so, um, so, Ah yes, and that sparks the uh, the psychiatrist, uh, the uh, what psychologist side of Grace. That's like, oh, now I'm interested in learning about the seven types of love. <laughs> no, I I was just more fascinated with the fact that like you know love was like different forms to me. It was like one thing is love, so that was one thing I remember distinct distinctly. The other thing I remember distinctly about this movie is that the opening scene starts with someone dying. And they are murdered in cold blood. So essentially what happened is that in this futuristic sci-fi world, this futuristic sci-fi world, a lot of people are, uh, they go through surgery, they go through this special process to become robotic instead and have a robotic body. And, uh, And essentially normal humans are becoming extinct. And except for those who are extraordinarily poor are the only ones who are still human. And this mom and her son are chasing after Galaxy Express 999 because the saying of Galaxy Express 999 is the final stop is a planet that will turn you into robotics essentially for free. And that's what they desperately need to keep up with this changing world. And so, but they're following on foot of like this magical space traveling train and they're dirt poor. And so one of the areas they had to go through, they were chasing after in the snow. And they didn't realize was they stumbled into hunting grounds. And specifically, the hunting grounds was for organic humans. And uh, and literally, the first scene was, it started out so hopeful with the mom explaining to them, like, once they catch up to the train, once they get to where the train goes, their life will be made. They will catch up to society and um, they have a future. And then the very next second, she's screaming at him to get down and she gets shot. And then he's, the little boy's like in hiding. And worst of all, like this this robot lord essentially like rides over in his like robotic horse and like lifts her cloak and you finally see her for the first time and she's beautiful. And like she's drawn to be very beautiful. And he goes, wow, like, you don't see organic, beautiful humans like that anymore. It's like, she's too good to be wasted. I'm so glad I shot her in a good place. Stuff her and display her in the house. Oh. (laughs) That was just, it just blew my mind because I think it, there was this thought of me of, like, cruelty, the cruelty that can exist to see this mother who was just murdered as sport and just hang her up like a trophy and I think honestly that this movie did put me off with the idea of game hunting at like five years old because that's essentially what it is except towards humans instead and like that was the very first scene and everything else after that was just insane one after the other another one that struck me really hard was I didn't have the biggest understanding of death yet at five years old I distinctly remembered when I watched Lion King that I didn't understand Mufasa died like I remember 
asking my mom like, hey, why isn't Mufasa opening his eyes? Why is he asleep? Like, why can't he wake up? And my mom like tried to explain to me that like, you know, he's dead. He can't wake up. And the idea that someone cannot wake up just could not register with me at that time. And so I think by five, I did know what death was, but I didn't fully understand exactly what it meant. And in one of the planets that the main character, the little boy visited was a um, was another guy who was sick and he was dying and he was trying to find a cure for himself, trying to use robotics to cure himself. But it was like he was still dying. And um, a few like some minutes beforehand there he had um, the boy had met that um, that sick man's mom who is just waiting every day on the porch for her son to come home to her because he had gone to fix himself and he said he would come back once he has. And in that particular scene, um, actually the man decided that he was more useful dead because he has like special parts on his body that could help the boy like move forward in his journey ultimately and also like defeat the evil guy who was responsible for the very first scene who shot the mom dead and and what happened was he killed himself and when he killed himself that didn't really struck me that that man was dead but what did was it instantly cuts back to his mom still sitting on that porch and just petting a cat and it's completely peaceful there's no sound except for nature and in the background the sound of a cup falls to the ground and it shatters. And that was the moment that I knew that that man was dead and what death actually was. And so it was just, it's just insane. And it's like all these little stories put into parts that connect to each other. And the more I think about it, like the, like I was grossly not aware of how mature and how like deep of a topic like of topics and themes that Galaxy Express 999 was encompassing. There was another one, like there was another like just short, like I think like five or six minutes total where one of the planets he visits, there was a woman who has, who regrets like making herself into a robotic body and wishes she can become an organic human again. And she's just like constantly wailing by like, what her body once was because she ended up freezing her body once she regretted it in hopes that maybe she can return to it and just like wailing and clutching to it and stuff. And it's just, it is just insane. And I think like I need to revisit it soon, but I clearly remember so much of it from when I was just five years old. So, uh, so that was Galaxy Express 999 that I watched as my first remembering anime movie. A pretty good entryway, I would say. You think? <laughs> I know. It's an absolute entryway. I mean, I didn't watch the movie, but it's a huge classic in Japan. And it holds such dear memory in a lot of people's hearts that I think you started out in a really great place. Compared to me, who was watching stuff that was like super weeby, like Digimon. <laughs> okay, but I heard that movie was pretty good, though. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was aimed towards children, but yeah, it's- see, it's not. It, it's not aimed towards <laughs> children. Um, a lot of people die in there, and for a five-year-old, you know, that was a lot. But obviously, the thing that struck me the most at the end was the kiss on the lips, and me being like, "Why is she kissing him on the lips?" And so- <laughs> 
That's such a that's such a kid thing to ask. It's like when you go up to your parents and you ask them, like, how are babies made? And your parents are like, mm, the stork child. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's way of saying of how babies is made is as long as you want it, you can have it. And I was just like, so you just think it and it happens? And so, uh, but yeah, no, the lips thing. That's really trippy. That's a really trippy thought. I don't want to think about yeah, that. Yeah, no, the lips thing was the one that caught me so off guard. And even after my mom tried to explain it, I was just like, man, there's different kinds of love. Like, who knew? And so, <laughs> the psychologist Gracie was born. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I, if, if you haven't seen it, Please watch it. I actually didn't realize there's several movies, so I don't actually know which one I saw. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to have to figure it out. But uh, I did develop a crush on Space Pirate Harlock because he shows up in that movie. And I- Oh, that's one of Nico's favorite uh, comics, I think. He did a he did a big um, comic review for the Space Harlock uh, new edition that came out through Ablaze Comics. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, it it is the very first one. Okay, so Galaxy Express nine nine nine. That was real. It's nineteen seventy nine. It's a really old film, but yeah, that was the first one um, I saw. But yes, uh, Captain Space Captain Harlock makes a cameo in there, and that was my only time seeing him. But he had like a scar, and he just like came in he was a rogue and stuff like that and i was like oh so cool five-year-old me right, t- t- time to check if he is an ice <laughs> so that's my first anime film that i remember my most recent anime film is bell by hosoda and mm. i talked about it at length already in and in like one of our in our main anime training podcast so I don't really want to rehash too much of it because I do have like a question I want to ask you guys. But Belle is gorgeous. It's uh, it's one of the most beautifully animated movies I've seen. You are missing out if you did not see it on the big screen because the smaller screen just does not do it justice. It's a really interesting take on social media. Uh, one of my one of my favorite parts of it is how they is how he portrayed like heroes on social media and how a lot of times they're lip service and they're not actually doing anything which I think is a big problem as a whole with social media is and how they make bullying cyberbullying look heroic which once again is a humongous problem on the internet and because people think that if you have a quote-unquote cause you're allowed to go after them in every personal stance possible and every brutal way. But it's cyberbullying, clear and clear. And Hosoda-san is absolutely not um, tricked by that fact. And the main antagonist literally is essentially a cyberbully who uses, um, who uses sort of like a platform, a righteous angle to allow himself and by extension allow the general internet public to approve of essentially intense cyberbullying. So that's a segment of Bell that I really liked. There are stuff, flaws in the story that I've talked about at length already in the main anime trending podcast. So I won't really mention it here because it's also kind of spoilery uh, for if any of you two are still interested in watching it. But as a whole, it's just very, very beautiful. And it's still a Enjoyable, if nothing else. So, 
that is sort of my take on my most recent anime I've seen. So with that being said, in the remaining time, I do want to be able to ask my question, which is, as many people have noticed, there has been an increasing trend of anime series sequel movies, where after a series, they release a sequel for a movie, and it earns it usually earns a lot of money, like Demon Slayer Mugen Train and Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the prequel. But the problem with that is that in on the other side of the coin, original anime movies are getting greenlit slash invested in less and less because of the fact that they don't have a predisposed fan base at the ready to spend money. You have to spend a lot more on marketing to get people to understand what the movie is about, to hype them up, to get them interested. And there is a Japanese article that someone has uh, translated where unless you have big names tied to it, for example, uh, Makoto Shinkai and um, Hosoda-san, you don't really perform as well at the box office. And it's very hard for investors to want these movies to open. For example, Don Glee, I think, is came out some time ago, and we basically heard nothing about it, even though it was created by uh, the creators behind A Place Further Than the Universe, one of the most critically, newest critically acclaimed anime in modern times, and it won our anime trending awards. And so in regards to this shift, I'm curious to hear how do you guys feel about it? You know, like, do you like... Do you like the fact that anime series are having anime movie sequels? Um, how do you feel, you know, about that fact? And would you prefer more OG anime movie stories or just, you know, these sequels? Uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, I definitely would like to see a lot more OG anime sequels because as we talked about a lot in both the girl talku and then just general discourse in anime, like on Reddit or in Discord and stuff like that. A lot of animators have really, really good ideas and a lot of untapped potential that the anime industry can't afford to dish out for TV series, which is why I would hope to see more OG things on screen and to see how these animators and these directors and these script writers have to show for us and tell us a very compelling story that is very thematic like we talk about with Galaxy Train 999 or any of the other movies that we have here like for me it was like Sword of the Stranger where it's like one of Ando's most defining works as um, in a movie but unfortunately because a lot of these a lot of the anime industry now is not so much on how well you can adapt a series, but how much money can you make off of the series, unfortunately. So most of the time, we will probably be seeing a lot of continued story movie sequels, regardless if they're good or bad. So what if OG anime movies don't decrease in numbers? Are you okay with then, like, anime series sequel films? <laughs> Mm, no, not really. I would still like to see more OG films because it kind of puts me in the same position of how in the West we have a lot of indie films. We have indie film festivals that showcase to us like, oh, this is cool stuff that we can see, even though we have like big name screens that kind of plaster all around Hollywood. I, I'm always somebody, I guess I'm always somebody that likes the underdog okay, type of story. Yeah. And I like to see underdog animators and creatives get together 
and create a compelling story. And I would rather go see that instead of a big screen movie. And I already don't go to the movie theaters very often too. So I'd rather go see some of these smaller films and kind of get a feel of what they're, what people are trying to tell okay. us rather than go see something because it makes box office money. Makes sense. Um, what about you then, Isabel? Where do you stand on this? Yeah, I'm honestly fine with both, I feel like, because seeing, you know, sequels in the theaters is pretty enjoyable. Um, but then also seeing original films like Belle, for example, I thought that was great. And also the creative process that goes behind those original films. Um, I think when we did the Belle interview, the composers were able to take more time and consideration into making you know the soundtrack um, more beautiful and working with the best musicians they could find because what were they doing during the pandemic? They were at home. So... They were able to, you know, leverage that. Um, and I think it's the same for films like Promare, for example, as well. Kind of going off the studio, but then also the creative process behind the directors, having that time to, you know, hash out the characters more. And then, because you can really see when they work hard on the film. Um, I know it might not do as well, as obviously, you know, like Demon Slayer and Jujutsu Kaisen, but I feel like these films are very important and and just seeing the animation difference is uh, really, it really speaks out to me, at least. It makes me want to go to the movie theaters to go watch them, that's why. But yeah, what about you, Gracie? Uh, for me, I like to see um, anime, uh, anime OG films. Uh, I'm kind of biased in this regard because, uh, for one thing, like I mentioned before, my best friend does screenwrite and so she screenwrites originals and I think it's really important to show originals. I think it actually makes me a little sad that, you know, people aren't willing to take the risk on OG stories because all these stories, you know, they have to start somewhere. Fan bases start from somewhere and we even with Jujutsu Kaisen and Demon Slayer, you can't forget that the manga source materials, like, they were original stories, too. That was originally written. And so I think that it's really important to give original writers all types of media and methods, one of which is anime film. And so the fact that they are decreasing um, anime original films because it's more risky and harder to build up hype and marketing versus, you know, anime sequel uh, anime series sequel films where there's already a very large fan base you can tap into without much work. I just I just feel like it's lazy and it's not respectful for the creativity behind things. But obviously, as most things business in businesses go, they don't really care about the creativity of things. They usually care more about the money. I always think about a quote from a Disney CEO, which is, it's not our job to create art, it's not our job to create history, but it's our job to make money. And so, um, which, yes, I know sounds terrible, but, you know, that's how businesses tend to go, and that tends to be their mindset as well. And I think, uh, but it's just really sad and upsetting in that case. As a whole, though, I don't really like anime series sequels. I'm not going to lie. I... I don't know why. I don't have a good reason why as to why I dislike them. Even if they didn't decrease OG anime film scripts, I think I would, I still just am not as interested in it. And I would just 
rather see it as a series and not have to see it as a movie per se. But I'd like I said, I don't have a good reason. So I don't have any backings for my opinion. It's quite literally just my opinion and sort of my take on the whole thing. So yeah. I mean, at one point, it's probably just a cheap cop out. It kind of for just making it just money. kind of yeah. feels like it. Yeah, like it does. <laughs> yeah, saving money and time. You know, Gracie, if you just watch all these season twos and as films, you wouldn't have so many anime to watch per season. Okay, but see, I although that would make you sad. <laughs> I, I enjoy torturing myself and tormenting myself. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're an S and an M. Unfortunately, there's no way to work around. I that. encompass both, and that makes me the scariest person alive. <laughs> I say with like a cracking voice, but anywho. Thank you all. I think that wraps up our movie anime movie talk in this uh, week's episode. So thank you all for taking the time to listen to us today. I hope you enjoyed the topic and, you know, listen to us uh, discuss our first and our most recent anime movies and the impact it has on us, as well as our thoughts on the changing film industry landscape for anime movies. Please be with us next week. And I say that sincerely because... We have two back-to-back episodes planned that are just extraordinarily exciting that I think we're all just going to have a really great time talking about and exploring. So I'm really excited for our next two weeks uh, podcast episode. So please be with us next week, everyone. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.